As hard as Pilate tried to release Jesus, he could find no way out of his predicament. For God, he had supernaturally arranged the pieces of this puzzle to come together at this one moment in history in order that he would accomplish his purpose by offering his son upon the cross for the sins of the world. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're going to see, Behold the Man, John 19, 1 through 22. And I broke it into four sections. Behold the man, verses 1 through 5. Behold the Son of God, 6 through 11. Behold your King, verses 12 through 15. And behold the King of the Jews, verses 15 through 22. Let's look again at verses 8 through 10. Therefore Pilate heard that saying, he was even more afraid. Pilate, one who worshipped many gods, many deities. One of the complaints against the Jews, against Pilate, when he came and set up his headquarters in Jerusalem. That was a complaint altogether. But he brought the images of his deities, his gods, and put them in his palace. And that went against the commandments of Israel. You shall have no other god, nor have any image of any other gods. And Pilate had done this. When he heard that Jesus made himself the son of God, he was even more afraid. He went in to the praetorium. And he asked Jesus, where are you from? Pilate worshiped many gods. People believe that there are many gods. One more God. That's the whole issue of uh, the many gods that are worshiped in India. Adding Jesus to the plethora of gods that are worshiped, there is no big deal. But to put Jesus above all other gods and to claim him as your sole savior, that is a big deal. So Pilate, he had sought to release him when he heard that he declared himself the son of God. He was even more afraid. And then he said, you're not speaking to me. See, my theory of why Jesus stopped speaking to Pilate, I believe, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus spent a lot of time speaking with Pilate when he didn't have much to say to the religious rulers. Jesus said to them, I spoke openly at all times and nothing I had said anything in secret. If you want to know what I've taught, ask the people who have heard me. But he didn't give them much more information than that, other than when the high priest asked him if he was the son of God. And he went on to say that I am. 
He used the very name of God that God gave to Moses. But he didn't say a lot. He was silent before them, not with Pilate. He spent a lot of time, I believe, if we see from John's account in John 18, speaking with Pilate. But there was a point, and I believe Pilate reached a point of no return when Pilate asked, what is truth? And then he turned and he walked away from he that is truth. In John 18.38, Pilate said, what is truth? And he didn't wait for the answer. He turned, he walked away from Jesus. And at this point, I believe Pilate's heart reached that point of no return. It was too far seared to know the truth that would set him free. As Paul referred to in 1 Timothy 4.2, having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. And Jesus then finally spoke to him once more. He said in verse 11, you could have no power at all against me unless it's been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. He reminded Pilate that his very position had been God ordained. It's a reminder to us, as Paul wrote in Romans 13, 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, we have a privilege here in the United States where we have a right to go out and vote. And sadly, for so many years of my life, the church has been silenced at the voting polls. And we have seen the results of the changes of our land because the church decided to be silent. There are great battles out there, and it's going on right now. And as we know, Election Day is not too far away. May I encourage you to use the voice that the Lord has given us. God will see that whoever is on the throne will be of his design. But let us do what we can while we can. I tell you, prior to a couple of years ago, I was losing a lot of hope in this nation because I saw the direction of the nation, how quickly we were sliding downward. And now we have had a reprieve in a sense. Quite often when you go through a storm and the storm is over, in the heat of the storm, you're busy and you're doing the things that's needed to be done. We had a storm, not a major storm, but a hailstorm that came through that really caused a lot of damage in our neighborhood uh, this spring in the month of May. May 2nd, on a Wednesday, I remember that not because of the storm, because I had hernia surgery that morning. So I remember what was going on with me that morning. But that night, I was boarding up windows. Shouldn't have been doing it. I didn't blow out the surgery. That's a good thing. I felt no pain anyways. I was still numbed up, so it didn't hurt me. But I did what was necessary because the windows were blown open and we had hail and water coming into the house. Quite often when a storm passes, then we relax. I think up till a couple of years ago, just thinking about the elections, I, there wasn't a lot of hope. I was worried about our nation and then things swung differently and we're in this reprieve. And what happens in the reprieve, the church can either get stronger or relax. And I fear that our nature is to relax and we need to get strength. We need to have the strength of the spirit that Perhaps the Lord would send another revival. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. 
for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. We have a unique privilege. Let's not neglect the privilege that the Lord has given us. But Jesus said to Pilate that those who turn me over to you, they have the greater sin. The sins of the religious rulers were greater, even though Pilate's sin was great. Those who had been given the law of God, those who knew the prophecies concerning the coming Messiah, they will bear a greater judgment in the last days, in the day of judgment, in Romans 2, 5, and 6. But in accordance to the hardness and the impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath and the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. It tells us that although God judges, there are levels of judgment. That's what Jesus is speaking about here. Pilate, though your sin is great, their sin is greater. But that shouldn't let Pilate relax. Pilate should still desire, should have desired to find salvation that was right before him. The fulfilled prophecies, the crucified, crucified him. I tied this together with the first Passover in Exodus 12, 6, where it says on the 14th day of the same month, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. All the people cried out for the death of the Lamb of God on that Passover day. Also in verse 11, Jesus said, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. And we find that Acts 2.23 reminds us that Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by your lawless hands and crucified him and put him to death. These things were done according to the word of God. But behold, the Son of God who willingly died according to the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Verses 12 through 15, again for context, Behold your king. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, in Hebrew called Gabbatha. Now, it was the preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour, and he said to them, Behold, your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. From that time on, Pilate, he sought to release Jesus. He, from the very beginning, sought to release him. But as Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate made a, a threefold attempt. If you combine the four Gospels, three times he sought to release Jesus. And although both Pilate and Herod found no fault in Jesus, Pilate was moved by the masses and not by justice. Again, I look at our country today and we find that people are being moved by the masses and not by justice or true law or the truth of God's law or even the, the laws of our land. They're being moved by the masses and not justice. It's not changed since the time of Jesus. Pilate could have released Jesus, 
but he worried that Jesus's release would cause a revolt among the people. He was there at a place called the pavement. It basically means a road that's paved with stone. Well, this wasn't a road that Pilate was standing there with Jesus or Pilate sitting in the judgment seat and Jesus standing there on that place called the pavement. It was actually uh, cut pieces of marble. Julius Caesar and his military expeditions, he took with him pieces of marble ready cut and fitted in order wherever they camped that they might be laid down in the praetorium. And here we find in John 19, 13, Pilate led Jesus out of the praetorium, set him upon this public tribunal in this place of paved stones called in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It's called stone pavement. That's what it means in the Greek or in Hebrew, the stone pavement. As hard as Pilate tried to release Jesus, he could find no way out of his predicament. For God, he had supernaturally arranged the pieces of this puzzle to come together at this one moment in history in order that he would accomplish his purpose by offering his son upon the cross for the sins of the world. Again, Acts 2, 23 and 24, according to God's determined purpose and foreknowledge, Jesus was put to death upon the cross. But when they cried out that Jesus should be crucified and the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar, we find in verse 14, it was the preparation day of Passover. And I've tried uh, through the years of studying the four gospels to determine a timeline. It's very difficult to determine the exact timeline of the final week of Jesus Christ. And I've come up with a timeline. It, it could be accurate. It could be wrong. I, I think it's hard to determine it. We find a difficulty with Jesus being crucified on a Friday because the scripture tells us, and Jesus saying three days and three nights, as Jonah was in the heart of the fish, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. And we count Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We don't come up with the multiplication of three. So there are those who teach that it was a Thursday crucifixion, and they use actually a passage that we'll look at next week in John 19 to come up with the Thursday crucifixion. We'll look at that next week. It's in the latter half of John 19 that refers to the high day of the Sabbath and what it meant by the high day. And it's difficult as it is to determine that timeline. I believe Jesus, he died within that 24-hour period of Passover. Here it says it was preparation day. It refers to the preparation of keeping this Passover. Exodus 12, 14 through 20 speaks about the Passover feast. I'm not going to read it through for you, but it was to be a covenant, an everlasting ordinance for the children of Israel there. And on the first day of that Passover feast, it was to be a holy day. It means that it's to be like a Sabbath day. No matter what day of the week it fell on, it could be on a Monday or a Wednesday or a Friday. It was to be as a Sabbath day. And it was at that time that they were to uh, remove all unleavened bread from their house. And then on the 14th day, they would kill the Passover lamb. And it's interesting in this passage of Exodus 12, Moses told every family to take a lamb. And then when he tells them to kill the Passover lamb, Moses does not say kill the lambs. He said, kill it. 
singular, and I believe referring to Jesus Christ. But I believe that Jesus, he died within that 24-hour period. He died as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the true Passover Lamb. It was at the sixth hour, John tells us. We don't know if John's actually writing from Roman time or Jewish time. If it's Roman time, right now it's 6 a.m. in the morning. If it's Jewish time, it's 12 noon. But the people cried out, no king but Caesar. The religious rulers acted like they were loyalists to Caesar, yet they rejected their true king, Jesus. And already in trouble with Caesar because of the Jews, Pilate willingly appeased them concerning Jesus. He said, behold, your king. And sadly, the majority of Israel rejected Jesus as their true king. Finally, behold, the king of the Jews, verses 16 through 22 so he delivered him to be crucified. And so they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place of the skull, which is called Golgotha. And they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and he put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for he had placed it where Jesus was crucified. And the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And the chief priest came to Pilate and said, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And so he came to this place, and you can go there to this day. It's outside the original city of Jerusalem, this place of the skull. It has this skull-like appearance even to this day. Today, it's right, the skull is right above a, a Jewish bus stop, uh, if you're looking from the walls of Jerusalem. And it still has this appearance of a skull, not as clearly perhaps as it had at one time uh, because of just... 2,000 years have passed since that time. But Luke called this place Calvary. It's the Greek name, Calvary. The Hebrew name, John gives it to us here, that it was called Golgotha, in the place of the skull. It was here at this place that it was near enough to the city, and I think this is significant. It was outside the walls of Jerusalem proper. And in Scripture, it tells us in Hebrews 13, 11, and 12, the bodies of those animals whose blood was brought to the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, they were burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. There's another unique thing about Golgotha. We think of the temple quite often, a temple would be placed at the high points of a mountain. The temple in Israel or Temple Mount is not the high point of Mount Moriah. The high point is several yards away outside the city. You might guess it. It's at a place that has a skull-like figure. And on top of that is where they crucified Jesus. I believe this is the very same place where God had spared Abraham from offering his only son Isaac where Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, 
which means the Lord will provide. And there at Golgotha, I believe it's a place where God provided for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. His only begotten son, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John tells us, as the other gospels writers do as well, that there were two thieves that hung on either side of Jesus. And after being stripped, they laid Jesus upon a cross. They drove nails into his hands and feet. They elevated the cross into its place, which would have caused excruciating pain. And there Jesus was left to suffer and to hang until life drained from his body. The two thieves on either side, again, fulfillment of Scripture in Isaiah 53, 12. He was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus, who was holy and harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners, would suffer and die as a criminal among thieves. And there placed above Jesus' head was the accusation. Uh, in Roman custom, the criminal, as he made his way out to be crucified, they would carry a plaque, a sign, or it would go before them, the charge of his crime. Pilate's charge of Jesus's crime, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now, when the Jews read this, because it was near the city, so they're inside the city walls, they're looking over the wall, they see Jesus being crucified. It's written big enough that they didn't need to pull out the opera glasses or the binoculars. They could see it and say, wait a minute. Don't say that he's the king of the Jews. Say that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate responded, what I've written, I have written. Well, Jesus of Nazareth, it simply identified the location from where Jesus came. It wasn't that they carried last names like we do today. So he was Jesus from the town of Nazareth. But this, too, is in fulfillment of Scripture. Matthew 2, 23 tells us that they dwelt in the city of Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. And the king of the Jews was the crime that he was convicted of. And yet he died there as a propitiation, a covering for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the whole world, according to 1 John 2, 2. It upset the chief priest what was written there for Jesus' accusation. But Pilate's response, what I've written, I've written. Pilate's accusation, I believe, was divinely inspired by God, even though he did not personally believe it. And disbelieving Jesus, well, again, that's happening in our world today. This is from a survey from 2015 in England, not in the United States, but they conducted a survey by the Barna Research that claims that a total 22% of people think Jesus was a mythical figure, while 17% are unsure whether he was real or not. That's nearly 40% of the people are, who are either unsure or who actively do not believe in the existence of Jesus. Even though all of history has changed because of Jesus, we have scores of documents from both the Old and the New Testament uh, writing about Jesus. And yet people are still not sure whether he actually lived or not. Behold the King of the Jews who willingly bore our sins upon the tree. Fulfilled prophecies. He was crucified with two thieves. 
We find in verse 18 that Isaiah 53, 12, he was numbered with the transgressors. The place where he was crucified was near the city. And the writer, author of Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews 13, 12, that Jesus also died outside the gate. Father, we pray that you would be with us now as we close. I pray, Lord, as we wait upon you now, may you just bring application of your word that was spoken to us today. Help us, Lord, to live for you. And I know, Lord, that according to your word, the first step of living for you is coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But Father, I pray that even this day, that our hearts would be conformed to your heart. And that begins by salvation, first and foremost, confessing our sins to you, that you are the Lord and Savior of our lives. And I pray, Father, that if there are those who need to be saved, that they would surrender their lives to you even this day. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you continue to draw us close to you as we live for you in the day and age that we are in. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.